Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus talks about a mark here. He talks about this idea of there's going to be this identifier, this qualifier, this mark that is going to be that you are truly a disciple of his. And he says that mark is going to be that you love one another. I want us to understand that the local church is not meant to be marked by simply good sermons or great worship or great programming or great events. But often when we talk about the local church, we talk about them in the context of, oh man, this church or that church has really great worship. This church or that church pulls off some really impactful and significant events. This church or that church really has some great things going on in this area or that area. But Jesus said that the thing we're supposed to be known by, the thing we're supposed to be marked by is the love that we have for God and for each other. That's how everyone's gonna know we're legit. That's how everyone's gonna know that we're actually followers of Jesus. That's how everyone is gonna know that we truly are disciples. So you can't have one without the other because we can't have this idea of just chasing after what we think legitimizes us and all these other things that we elevate and think are great. And they, and they are. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the most important thing that Jesus said was that we have love for each other. So how do we get there? Because church, we must get there. God has always marked those who are his all throughout scripture. You can go back and read that God has always marked his people as his own. You can go back and read in Exodus chapter 12 where we see that there were these 10 plagues that were given over Egypt in order uh, God wanted his people set free and the very final plague was this death of the firstborn and the way that those who knew him and were his and belonged to him would be spared and their firstborn children would be spared is that they would take the blood of a spotless lamb and they would put it on their doorposts. They would put it on the tops and on the sides of the frames of their homes. And when the angel passed by, would see that blood and know these people are marked by God. These are God's people. And he would pass over them. That is why the Jewish people celebrate the Passover, because it's passing over, causing them to live and sparing them by the grace and by the protection of God, because they were marked as his. Later on, you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the priest And the ministers of God were marked as his because he said, I want you to be marked with the Holy Scriptures. I actually want you to take these things and put them in front of your eyes. Put the words of God in front of your eyes, the things that God has spoken. Put them on your garments. He talked to them about making sure that they were just always in front of them and seeing the Scripture. And this is going to be a part of marking you as a separate group or a separate group of leaders that have a certain responsibility. We can read in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus gives the great commission 
He says that we're going to go into all the world to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This act of water baptism is a marking. It's marking these people belong to God. They have, they have gone through this, this idea of dying to self through this idea of immersion in water and coming and being raised through this water into new life and being filled with the Spirit of God. And this marks them, this separates them, this identifies them as God's people. And then over in Revelation chapter 7, we see this idea where the Lamb is going to have people separate that are His, that He's marked, and He's marked them on their foreheads. Have you you've heard of the mark of the beast, right? That gets a lot of press, and it's good for Hollywood, right? And people, oh, people get scared when you start talking about the mark of the beast. But can I tell you real quick, this is a little side sermon, this one's for free, that in Revelation chapter 1, it opens up the book by saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of the Antichrist, not the revelation of scary things, and it actually said there's a blessing attached to reading it. So don't be afraid of reading that because this book actually gives hope, and we focus a lot on the mark of the beast, on the head, on the hand, but in Revelation chapter seven, it talks about the lamb's gonna mark them on the head and on the hand also, and he's gonna mark them with his blood, and he's marking them for him because he's separating his own people. So yeah, the enemy's gonna have people marked, but guess what? God's gonna have a people that are marked too, amen? And we see in the book of Revelation where it says that they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they've been separated, they've been marked. And so God has this idea that continues throughout scripture that we see that he marks people that are his and he marks them for his purposes. And he marks them because he wants them to be identified. And Jesus hones in on this idea of the local church, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. He, I, he hones in on this group of disciples that are going to be his and any further disciple that claims the name of Jesus because it takes more than just saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a part. It takes more than just buying a, a Christian t-shirt. It takes more than just showing up for a church service. There's gonna be a marker and the marker's not gonna necessarily be the clothing you wear. The marker's not necessarily going to be where you show up every week. The marker is going to be in the fruit of your life that's going to be seen by others by the way you love God and the way you love one another. That's the marker. The marker that's set out is this idea of love for one another. Because when the church loves God, then we begin to love the things God loves, right? And if I love the things that God loves, then I'm gonna have a passion for the things God has a passion for. Not because he tells me to and I'm supposed to, because of something deeper than that. Because that love of God is real to me, and the more that becomes reality in my life, and the more that begins to overflow out of my life, I'm going to prioritize the things God wants me to because I'm loving people like God has loved me, and I'm growing in the love of God. And so if I love what God loves, what does God love? Well, God loves people, right? God loves people. For God so loved the world, it caused him to do what? To give what? His only begotten son, right? And so this love motivated God to action. And so that same love is now in us if God is truly in us. If it's more than just a t-shirt, if it's more than just a religious obligation or a rhythm in our life, if it's more than just morality and trying to be a nice neighbor, 
If it truly is love, Jesus said, listen, this is going to be infectious where this love is going to spill out of you and it's going to become something that's going to be attractive to those who are around you. If you look at the way that the early church grew in the book of Acts, the main thing that was attractive was this idea of the way these people were interacting with each other. Because people had never seen others and love each other that way. These people were selling the stuff that they had to make sure everybody in their group had what they needed. Like they just did this. Not just because they were told to. They did it because the love that God had in them. And they saw, hey, there's needs among us. We want to make sure everybody's taken care of. Instead of me going, well, I've got me and mine taken care of. And then being critical and saying, well, they just need to get their act together. They need to be better at this or better at that. Or they need to, you know, be successful like me. No, they didn't have that attitude. Because love broke through those barriers of socioeconomic walls that would divide. And that love broke down those walls and said, you know what? I I don't need this. I'm going to sell it so this person can have what they need. They distributed everything that one another needed because in their community, they had this overwhelming love that changed the way they treated each other. And other people on the outside were going, man, I don't know about this message that they're preaching, but golly, they sure do love each other. And then they began to ask questions. And then the love of God will get a hold of their heart. And then all of a sudden they become open to the gospel. And the next thing you know, all of their criticisms and all of their judgmental attitudes and all of their hesitancies were all just broken because that love would break all of those fears and all of those things because it was real. And it was legit. And that's what we are called to do because God has always marked those who are his. And the mark, church, of a local church that God has called is a unified, sacrificial, loving, Christ-centered community. That's the mark of a local church that is truly a church that's on mission for God, amen? It is a unified group of people and they're unified around these common things. They're, They're more concerned about what brings them together than they are with what separates them. They're not concerned about all of their preferences and their own individual priorities. No, they have unified priorities and they're pursuing those together and it causes them to be sacrificial. They're willing to sacrifice intentionally inconveniencing themselves for the benefit of someone else. And it's not so they can be elevated or get the credit and everybody can say, oh wow, look at how great or how cool they are, look at how much of a servant they are. No, it's not for their own gain. It's for the benefit of another. And so unified, sacrificial, loving, Christ-centered community where it's not just a group of do-gooders. No, we're centered around Christ. The good that we do comes out of our love for Christ because it's affected our priorities. It's affected our value systems. It's affected the things that we work through together because we're more interested in what brings us together than what would potentially separate us. There's an illustration that I heard a few weeks back, and I shared it with our staff in a staff meeting one day, and it's really good. I don't know who said it, so I don't know who to give credit for because I, I, I'm just stealing it, and that's just how that's working, okay? God gave me eyes, plagiarized, so anyways, so no, that's, that's bad, but anyways, I don't know who said it, but it's, it's great. It said, there are teams that are like a golf team There's leadership teams and groups that are like a golf team. And what a golf team does is everybody goes out 
and plays their own game, and then they come back and they tally their scores, and if the team collectively had enough wins separately, then the team wins, right? They said, but then a basketball team is much different. A basketball team is a team that when they score and when they may make a steal or have a good play, something like that, it takes everyone individually operating in their area with their specialty because they're all good at different things because you're not asking the guy who's seven foot four to be the point guard carrying the ball up the court, right? You're not asking the guy who's, you know, six foot two, who's the point guard carrying the ball to the court to defend, you know, the seven foot center on the other end to try to block the shot, right? Everyone has their own different gifts. Everyone has their own different part. Everyone has their own different roles. And they all need to work together because it can't just be about this one superstar carrying the ball down the court every single time. Because I, I remember seeing, um, there's a certain basketball player that just, yeah, anyways, James Harden, that's his name. Okay, so um, James Harden, man, a few years back, you would see him putting up crazy numbers. This guy was putting up like 50 plus points a game. And his team didn't even make the playoffs. And I'm like, bro, when are you going to wake up and realize it's amazing that you're like headlining, you know, ESPN with this 50-point game, but your team lost. And so it's got to be more than just one person having this superstar game. It's a team that works together. And I think oftentimes people want to be more like that golf team. And I'm not criticizing golf teams. It's just the way it's structured. It's not bad. It's just the mentality we can often have in church is we can say, well, I'm going to go over here and do my thing and you leave me alone and I'll go over here and do my thing and you leave me alone. And everyone kind of factions off into these little pockets. And then, well, we're all doing good together. Yeah, but we're not unified. We're not completely unified. Yes, there are things we are unified on because we all want to see people come to Christ. And there are things that do bring us together. But man, how much more close, intimate, dependent, and trusting, and respectful do we have to be when maybe you've got the ball or I've got the ball or it's time for this transition or this play or whatever the case may be? It changes the way that we come together as a team. And so we as a church need to be more sacrificial. We need to be more unified. We need to be more loving as that Christ-centered community. Because when the church is unified, when the church is sacrificial and loving, it is the perfect environment for real discipleship to happen. We talk about all these how-tos with discipleship. We talk about all these why-you-should uh, discipleship things. And, I mean, we go back, and for the past two years, almost to the day, two years we've been talking here about the Great Commission and about the importance of discipleship. And we're going to keep talking about the importance of those things. But can I tell you, church, that this is the foundation of the environment and the culture where real discipleship is going to happen. One where there is intentional, sacrificial, unified, loving, Christ-centered community. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the culture that has to exist for all of those things that we've been teaching, all those things we've been examining and exploring and talking about. For all those things to happen... We have to be unified, and it has to be more than just this group or that group or this individual or that individual. No, we have to collectively come together in that respectful way, recognizing the gifts, recognizing the priority, recognizing the thing that God has called us to do, and unifying around that. And so when, when you do that, man, it's hard because it takes the focus off of me, 
and what I've done or what I want to do or what I like. And it causes us to have to hear the word no, or it causes us to have to hear this isn't who we are. And we want to carve out that identity so we can rally together around things. And so it's just as important the things that God has called us to is the things that God is calling us to walk and move away from. And that's the harder part because that requires change in us, right? God does that with each one of us individually. He even does that with good things in our life. It's not always bad things because we hear stories and scriptures and we talk, hear sermons about how, oh, we need to leave the bad things behind. Well, duh, we know we need to leave the bad things behind, but sometimes God calls us to leave things behind that we've been carrying that have lost their effectiveness and God is calling us to embrace other things. There's good things that God we can celebrate and we can honor and we can reflect on and it makes us smile. But at the same time, for us to be unified, we have to understand God is calling us to move forward and he wants us to move forward together because it's that loving Christ-centered community that's gonna make those who don't know Jesus go, oh man, that's different, right? That's different. I wanna be a part of that. And that's what God is calling us to do. There is power, I said this last week, there is power in prioritizing what matters most to God, amen? There is power in prioritizing what matters most to God. Go over to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Man, this is just such a powerful text here. Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and man, he's wanting to get them to focus on what really matters as a body, as a group of believers. And he's trying to help them to hone in and be that unified, sacrificial, loving, Christ-centered community. And here's what he tells them in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He said, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see this idea of Christ's humility and how Christ set for us an example of what humility looks like. And then Paul calls the church to follow that example. He says, let this mind be in you. In other words, think this way. This is how we as followers of Jesus are to pattern our lives and are to think because he's calling us to think in a way that Christ thought where he humbled himself. And this is what humility looks like. And Paul goes on to write what all Christ did that helps us to examine this concept of humility. But he says this, and I underlined this when I was studying and preparing this message. 
and I underlined these words where he said in verse 2, to complete my joy by being of the same mind. I underlined both of those, the same mind. And then he says, the same love. And I started thinking about this idea of the same mind and the same love. And the same mind is this idea of we're all prioritizing and thinking along the same lines of what really matters and what's most important. And in this same love, I began thinking about this idea of how God has called us to unity, to love each other the same way. And oh man, that sounds really good, but golly, that's hard to do. Ooh, it's hard to do. But the key here is our big idea for today is humility promotes unity. Humility promotes unity. It, you, you want to get unity? Man, you know, I, I don't know. We could try a few exercises, some trust falls maybe if anybody's game, you know, for it. We could go do a ropes course together. I don't know, you know. Maybe that'll help us unify, uh, you know, uh, more and grow in that. So I don't always know exactly what's the pathway to actually uh, grow that muscle of unity. All I know is that it takes humility, It takes humility, and so if we want to grow in unity, as we should, because that was Jesus' prayer. He prays that, Father, make them one as we're one. And so he wants us to be together. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to have this same mind and this same love. This is the heart of the Father, and true humility, church, is lowliness of mind and lowliness of heart. That's what it is. It's lowliness of mind and lowliness of heart. That means not being high-minded, not being stuck on my own opinion. Like-minded means to think in a loving, mature way that has a heart, as Ephesians 4 says, that is eager to maintain a spirit of unity in the bond of peace. That's what God has called us to do, amen? Not just to get our way, because it's not different viewpoints that cause disunity, but rather a different love towards others we disagree with. I wanna say that again. It's not different viewpoints that cause disunity, but rather a different love towards others we disagree with. And here we see Paul wrote this idea of same mind, same love. Here's a radical idea. What if we all loved each other the same? Because love is determined by how willing I'm far to go, how, how far I'm willing to go for somebody. Because Jesus said, no one has greater love than, some, than this, somebody be willing to lay down their life for a friend, right? So how far are we willing to go for someone? How far are we willing to go for each other? How much are we willing to inconvenience ourselves for others? How much are we willing to say yes to greater things for the benefit of another person because we're called to have the same love. That means I love you the same as I love my own blood relatives. There's no difference. Like I'm willing to inconvenience myself to sacrifice what's convenient and what I want for myself so that you can benefit for the glory of God. That means that my time is not my own. My resources are not my own. My desires and my plans need to be submitted at the feet of Jesus as in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
But so many of us want to push our will and our desires and we get really loud with it and we think that whoever can be the loudest and the most aggressive can bully their way to get what they want because we think what we want is right. What if instead we took the attitude of Christ, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus that did not count himself to, to have this, this high and mighty idea of himself but instead rather humbled himself like a servant and came and washed people's feet and hung out with people nobody else wanted to hang out with. Because he loved everyone the same. Which is crazy to think because Jesus interacted with people differently, although he loved them the same. Because God is love, and if Jesus is God in the flesh, then there's no way that he could not be loving at all times, right? Amen? You following me? So if Jesus is loving at all times, then that means even some of the hard things that he had to say to the religious people, he was still loving them. He didn't stop loving them just because they were his enemies and they were trying to catch him in a lie. He said some harsh things at certain points, but he said them all in love because he had to. If he didn't say them in love, then he wasn't really God in the flesh. But we believe that he is because that's who we follow him as, amen? Our Savior, our Lord, the one and true, only begotten Son. And so we believe he's paid the price for our sins, but at the same time, he never stopped loving. Well, what about that deal with the temple, with flipping over tables and all that? He was still being loving So either I don't fully understand this idea because we think just love means being passive and always just putting up with whatever everybody wants to do. Jesus didn't do that. But at the same time, Jesus was also very gracious, especially towards those who did not have God in their lives, who were wrapped up full of sin and who society had disregarded. He was very much loving towards them. So if we look at Jesus, Scripture says, let this same mind be in you having the same love towards one another. And I want, to, I want us to ask ourselves that question today. What would it mean for us to have the same love for each other? Like what if, what if I loved everyone unconditionally? Because we put so many conditions on love, don't we? We put so many, man, we, sometimes we don't even get to love. <laughs> sometimes we just put conditions on like. <laughs> Like, I, don't, uh, I we, sometimes we put conditions on tolerate, you know? <laughs> Maybe we don't even make it to like. You know, we put conditions on put up with, be in the same room with. The church of God should not be saying those things about one another. At least not the way I read it. At least not the way that I see scripture spell out what we're supposed to be about. Because we should have the same love towards one another. Amen? Amen. And so in order to be unified more and more, which we need to grow in, all of us will always need to be pursuing and growing in this. It's not just a one-time deal or a one-time sermon. It's going to take humility. It's going to take us having the mind of Christ and how Christ humbled himself. And Paul helps us to do this by sharing with us those attributes We are called to have the same love towards one another and not just one time, but at all times. And so what does that mean? It means we have to fight for it because there's these things that get in the way and you have them and I have them and some of you like them and some of you don't like them, but it's called feelings. You heard of them? (laughs) These feelings things get in the way and they make certain things hard and feelings cloud our judgment. 
they distract us from what God says because our feelings are out of line with what God says. And so if I don't feel a way, then I, I feel like that's so much of my reality that my feelings will draw me away from the truth of God's word if I let them. But scripture tells me to not walk by my feelings, to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. So that means I walk a certain way whether I feel like it or not. That means that I'm going to make sure that I have this mindset whether I feel like it or not. And the the apostle Paul said this is what it's gonna take. This is what it requires, that I crucify my flesh daily. That I crucify my flesh daily. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and come follow me. I don't know if you know this or not, but the cross wasn't a burden. It was an instrument of death. So Jesus wasn't saying, take up this, this, this burden. No, he was saying, die to yourself. Because you're going to have to rid yourself of yourself and let my love and my light shine through you. Because if it's up to you, you're, you can't do it on your own. But Christ in you can. Amen. And I have to receive that by faith. That means I may not see it, I may not feel it, I may not want to do that in the moment and it conflicts with what I want to do and I have to let all of that die. And I have to say no to all those things because what's more important? Prioritizing what God says matters and making sure that I am being a part of that unifying body of Christ, the sacrificial community of believers that's promoting unity, and we have to fight for it because, man, sometimes those feelings get overwhelming, don't they? And we feel all this, oh, we feel anger, we feel hurt, we feel rage, we feel disappointment, we feel jealousy, we feel that that we're not getting what we deserve or what we're entitled to, and we want to cross our arms and make ugly faces towards one another, or we want to put distance between ourselves and others because we just can't work through certain issues or certain things or, or, or certain parts of the past. And God is saying, listen, the mark that you guys are mine is going to be the way that you work through this stuff and the way you fight for unity and love each other. That's how the world's going to look and go, wow. Because, man, you want to talk about an eye for an eye? Man, the world understands that. You do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Right? The world gets that. You don't have to be a Christian to get that. That's normal to those outside of the family of God. You know what else is normal to those outside of the family of God? Gossip, backbiting, talking bad about one another. That's normal, man. That's normal. But these things should not be among the people of God if we are marked for Jesus. Amen? Because he's calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to a higher degree of effectiveness. And if we want to be that church that God's called us to be and be those followers of Jesus that he's called us to be, we're going to have to take his word seriously and not as a suggestion that I'll do when I get around to it or when I feel like it. I have to step into it by faith when I don't feel like it. I, step, I have to step into it by faith when maybe my emotions want to try to jerk me the other way. And I have to go, no, I'm not going to be led by that. I want to be led by the word. The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? He was anchored in the truth. So when the feelings and the emotions and the floods and all this stuff comes, he's steady. And he still can hold on and withstand because his life is built upon the revelation of who Jesus is and pleasing him. This idea of Jesus being our foundation, that cornerstone, amen? Not my preferences, not my ideals, I heard this story, and I'm not a horse person. Some of you people are horse people, and so somebody's going to come and tell me I got my facts wrong. That's fine. Those of you who aren't horse people, though, you'll be like, that was a good illustration. 
So <clears throat> it's cool. So I like horses, got nothing against horses, but, I, but, but I, I read this thing about these big powerful Clydesdales, right? And what they can do and like how they're used to like accomplish these amazing feats, right? Did you know that one Clydesdale, did you know one of these monster horses that weighs like a gazillion pounds? Did you know, and there's somebody out there going, no, actually, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know how horse people are because anybody who's passionate about something, they get into it. But one Clydesdale, like when, he, when it's in its prime, it can pull by itself 8,000 pounds, up to 8,000 pounds. That is insanity. You think about that. A horse pulling 8,000 pounds, that's just nuts, right? Those things are huge, right? Two together that have been raised together, two that are in unity together, they can pull 36,000 pounds. You would think it'd be 16, right? You would think maybe, you'd think maybe even 24 would make sense, right? 24 would make sense, I mean, because maybe a little bit more. You know, they're like encouraging each other, like, you can do it, buddy, <laughs> <You know? laughs> or whatever. <laughs> That's how Mr. Ed talks. <laughs> and you can do it, Wilbur, you know, it's like, but <laughs> one can do 8,000 pounds, but two can do 36,000? That doesn't even make sense. That's bad math. It doesn't even make sense. But what does that show us? What does even nature teach us? Like scripture says that, that nature even teaches us things about God. What does this show us that God's trying to bring to our attention? That man, we're better together, right? That we are better together than we are out there solo in this thing by ourselves. There is strength there. And, and those numbers continue to increase the more of those just monster horses you put together. But if we work to intentionally keep the enemies of unity away, unity will increase, amen? Let me say that again, because some of you are sleeping on me. If we, work, if we work to intentionally keep the enemies of unity away, then unity will increase. The enemies of unity are poor communication, gossip, unresolved disagreements, a lack of shared purpose. These are the enemies of, of unity, the enemies that would love to keep our pursuit of being marked and showing the world that we're marked by God by the way we treat each other. Man, because sometimes, man, we just kick our own while they're down instead of loving and restoring and seeking to understand rather than just being heard because we feel a certain way. Man, sometimes we, we hurt one another and, and it's, it's not very attractive to the world and it doesn't reflect what Jesus said we should be marked by. So it's gotta be bigger than a building, bigger than a t-shirt or a great tattoo that says I love Jesus or that has a cross on it. It's gotta be something deeper, man. It's gotta be fruitful in our lives. And so for unity to be experienced in the local church, humility must be practiced daily. Sometimes several times a day, amen? Because, like, man, there's so many things that could cause disunity. If we locked the doors in here and somebody threw a pizza in the middle of the room, man, we would, we would, we would have issues. Not at first, but eventually, and it wouldn't take long because somebody would decide, well, I think we should divide the pizza this way. Well, I think it would be more fair to do it this way, you know. 
I think it'd be more fair to do it this way. Well, you know, well, why doesn't this person get any, you know? Well, let's base it on weight or height or age or this person has other issues. We would get in over a stupid pizza. <laughs> and so it's because there's this idea, man, that people naturally disagree when it comes to how things should operate, how we should do things, what we should do. And everybody has their own opinion, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. There's nothing wrong with having feelings or emotions. It's just what you do next. That's what matters. What am I going to do with that opinion? What am I going to do with those feelings? What am I going to do with those thoughts? There's nothing wrong with those things coming across your head. I mean, you're human for crying out loud. But at the same time, what you do next matters greatly. Because the next step that we take could be one that could build us towards what Christ said we're supposed to be that's attractive to the world, that people see there's something different about the way that we navigate our lives and the way we navigate conflict, the way we navigate disagreement, the way we navigate the things that the enemy would want to throw in the middle of the arena to try to get us off track. But can I tell you that what unites us is much greater than what divides us? Amen? And so here's what we have to do to practice daily. We have to set a guard over our heart, over our mind, and over our mouth. We have to exercise forgiveness, patience, and kindness. Amen? Like, come on, that's like weak sauce. I said we have to exercise forgiveness, patience, and kindness. Amen? Yeah? Okay. Amen. Not allowing our preferences or our fear of losing control to fuel our anger, but rather trusting God, submitting to God, trusting in Him and pursuing peace. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said this in a Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want us to be a church full of peacemakers in this house and outside of this house. I don't care how you've been wronged, what's been done to you, what's been said about you. Man, because people are going to talk. People are going to say things. Instead, no, Lord, help me be a peacemaker. Where I go, let me be a peacemaker, because it's easy for you to get caught up at in gossip at the water cooler at your job about how your boss is this or not doing this. Like, that's easy. Anybody can do that. But what sets you apart? Because God's calling you higher. Amen? Amen? The standard of holiness is higher. And it's going to cause people prioritizing what God says matters, not just acting like everybody else when something happens we don't like. And saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to be a peacemaker. And then John 13, 35, he tells us, he said, this is the mark. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So here's my question today. What is the next step that God is requiring of you? Because he's calling all of us, man. This is for me, it's for you. What's the next step he's calling you to? What's the thing he's calling you to do next? Because remember last week we talked about going deeper, right? And going deeper means that I'm taking these ideas and these things that I know, because some of you are thinking, ah, oh, pastor, I know this. I know this message. I've heard messages like this before. That's great. Let's go deeper by putting it into practice and not just being hearers of the word and deceiving ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let's actually do it. I'm going to challenge you to think about that. What does that mean for you? Maybe there's a friendship. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there's someone in this room. Maybe there's someone that you're sitting next to. <laughs> or maybe someone that there's things in there that you just need to, man, you need to pursue that unity. Maybe there's something at work going on, something at home going on. I don't know. I don't know what phone calls you need to make, what coffee appointments you need to set up. I'm going to leave that between you and the Holy Spirit, but you know, because you got somebody in your mind right now, you're thinking about it, the situation. 
and the Holy Spirit's using this message, and I believe he's going to bring that up, but here's your step. Be obedient to whoever it is you need to talk to, whatever you need to do to invest in unity. Maybe you're like, man, you know what? Hey, crew, your group of people, whatever, we're not going to talk about this anymore. We're not going to talk about this situation. We're not going to keep rehashing this over and over again because we can caught up in this crazy cycle, right, of rehashing something that happened five, ten years ago, right? We can get caught up in this, and it's unhealthy. It's not good for our soul. And it's not good for growing in unity. It's time for us to grow together and to heal and to move on and to be the church that God's called us to be because there are so many people that need to experience a real, authentic, genuine love. And I believe it's gonna come from a church that's unified in that purpose. And I believe that's who God's called us to be, amen? Amen. I wanna be a part of that. Do you wanna be a part of that? I sure do, I do. And so that's where we have to ask, what's my part? And let's do that. So Lord, we give this to you. Help us to do this today. Help us to humble ourselves, God, because as we've learned, humility promotes unity. Help us to be humble in our actions, in our attitudes, in our words, in our reactions. Lord, we give it to you. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and we know, Lord, that you will work through us and use us for your glory. We trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.